Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead forever horse 1D bananas at the glance of an unhurried maiden from a salon window that opens to infinity. We're reviewing Etris Buy, a very unusual and very story-style game from around 2013. And while I'd like to say it's going to get weird, I cannot, for I am followed by the melancholy that takes the form of a disheveled lizard in a topcoat. It's System Mastery. Everybody, welcome back to System Mastery. It's me, Jeff, the host of this here show, joined by the other host of the show, John, who is now going to tell me how he's doing. I'm doing. I am doing. I slept in a hotel yeah. or a motel yeah. or a holiday uh, yeah. inn, one of those. <laughs> as long as it wasn't a Burger King bathroom. Indeed. I did once get sleepy in a Burger King bathroom, though. Oh, I get sleepy in every bathroom. It's just what I do. Yeah, except that you don't want to go to a Burger King. Yeah, so. I hate Burger King. I would never go there. Yeah, so I understand. I, I find them very expensive and not that great. No, of all of the chain fast food burger places, Burger King is definitely the bottom of the list for me. That isn't White Castle, because White Castle doesn't count as burgers. Well, also, there isn't a White Castle within 300 miles of us. Yes. But as and soon as I purpose. started saying it, I was like, well, I got to I got to go ahead and, and clarify that, you know, White Castle is a foam made to look like a burger. <laughs> I don't know if maybe we just had a really bad White Castle experience because we only tried it the one time. And yeah, it was like, oh, great. Would you like five little burgers that are light gray and the bun has the consistency of toothpaste? Then come on down to White Castle. Oh, you don't so much eat it as tolerate it. Yeah, uh, it just kind of slides down your throat like you were eating a slug. Yeah, it's uh, it's the worst. I don't understand. Uh, but then again, maybe it's just that we we had a really bad experience that time because I understand that they do steam everything. Like that's the whole idea is that a white trash, white trash, a white castle <laughs> hey! burger, <laughs> a white castle burger never actually touches the flat top. That's like a point of pride. Instead, they, they steam them on a giant bed of onions that is on a flat top. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's interesting and yet also makes for a disgusting burger. It's a neat idea. And I've, I've eaten steamed cheeseburgs where that's like the point of them. The thing is, they also steam the fucking bun, which what are you doing? That's bread. Don't get it wet. Uh, wet bread. Yeah, although, personally, I would have to throw Wendy's to the top of my will-not-eat-there pile Well, uh, when we're talking fast food burgers. But then again, that's because I am perpetually in or, or uh, concerning myself with fast food politics for some reason. And the Wendy's is a fuck. Born to die. I, I cannot go there. It's they're, they're, too, they're, they're too shitty of a company. They're right up there with Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah. I, I, however, have not been listening to a thing you said because Everett ran in here and has been yelling at me. <laughs> It's okay. I filled the space pretty well. Everything's fine. Hi, Everett. <laughs> uh, okay, but, you know, before we get off this stupid topic that we should never have come into in the first place, what's your top fast food burger? Uh, ooh. See, because that also then begs the question of, like, what point does it stop being a fast food burger? Like, does five guys count as fast food? Uh, I mean, you can definitely get in and out of there relatively quickly, but how about we say drive through? Okay. Best drive-through burger. 
Ooh, that's it's a tough call, isn't it? It's, I'll give it's you a tough. second to think about it because I'm I've got a classic. I, I'm a classic in and out man. I, you know, as a Californian, that's sort of the thing where I go, oh, I should definitely knee jerk say that, and yet, you know, it's not my favorite. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. I have a lot of friends who don't. I mean, even though, yeah, we are Californian and tell, and in and out is kind of an institution around here, there are a lot of people who just don't care for them as much as, as I do. It's not like it's just the correct answer, uh, but for me it is because I really, really like their burgers, and I actually am not much of a fry enjoyer. I'm not a fry guy. I'm more of a Mayor McCheese. <laughs> Indeed. I'm more of a yeah. ham burglar. <laughs> ham burglar. <laughs> uh, so for me, it's definitely... I like their bun, I like their meat, I like the product. So I'm a big I'm an in and out man, but I don't expect you to say that. You don't have to toe the California party line, John. Hmm. You're safe here. Good. I'm glad. Cause it's But I do it's not I do need an answer. <laughs> I'm afraid that I do need an answer before we can continue the podcast though. Uh you know I will drag this to a screaming halt. <laughs> I will make us sit here while you hem and haw. <laughs> don't you worry about that. I will I will turn this podcast around and we will go home. <laughs> I am home. <laughs> well, good, because they have food at home. <laughs> we got burgers at home. <laughs> uh, you know, the saddest thing is, uh, until I found out that it was just the worst, probably Wendy's was one of my favorite fast food drive through burgers. I know. It is a sad story. It's not like Chick-fil-A, where I also don't fucking understand why everyone likes it. Wendy's is good food, and I just can't eat there because of the politics. But Chick-fil-A, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with everybody? This is just a regular-ass chicken sandwich. Yeah, go to a fucking Popeye's. What are you doing here? I don't understand it. Does the hate taste that good? Honestly, if you just go to a fucking, like, McDonald's and go, hey, give me a McChicken and put some pickles on there, boom, done. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, uh, it's a mystery to me why those things are so... Is it because people see the line and they're like, this must be fucking delicious? <laughs> Uh, we're oh, about good. to get wet chicken... so many Chick-fil-A apologizers. <laughs> <laughs> the problem, uh, I, I feel pretty safe in going after Chick-fil-A, even on a flavor basis, because if anyone comes after me and is like, hey, actually their food's really good, I'm going to be like, fuck you, you support hate. So go ahead and bring it. <laughs> uh, wonderful. All right. So uh, we actually don't need to discuss fast food all, all day long. And by the way, the, the appropriate chicken place to stop at on a drive is either Popeye's or uh, Raising Cane's. That is true, depending on what it is exactly you want. Or until such time as I find out that Raising Cane's has shit politics, because uh, it probably does with a name like that. <laughs> Personally, I'm a Popeye's man. I can't do Raising Cane's largely because they only have one sauce, and it's mayo with paprika in it. Fuck you, Raising Cane's. Get some barbecue sauce. God damn it. Nah, dude. Nah. You get that cane sauce or nothing. God, why are we still talking about this? Jesus Christ. How about because this game has two rules? <laughs> and the first rule is you don't talk about it. <laughs> That's why we're hemming and hawing on this one, because this is more of a book than a game. Yeah, it... I mean, you've definitely heard us, if you have been with us for a while, talk about games where... You read it and go, oh, that's a really interesting setting. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. This is people have taken it upon themselves to to kind of categorize our reviews for us. I've seen it happen before in our discord uh, where there are about five or six different types of role playing games where you've got things like D&D, &D, but you've got uh, 
a brilliant idea that didn't make sense when they put it on paper. And this is a classic example of the great idea, but what you do. Yeah. And, you know, for those of you who have not gone back and listened to some of our uh, earlier episodes, uh, this is also going to be a great companion if you want to go listen to the Numenon episode. Mm -hmm. Because this is basically like, what if Numenon made slightly more sense? Yeah, but, but only slightly. Because yeah, we making just turned sense the dial is, down. Yeah, <clears throat> but only slightly more sense because making sense isn't the point here. In fact, it's the it, it's not the it, the opposite of the point. Yeah, I think it, the big difference is with Numenon, you had the whole thing was supposed to be weird, dreamlike vignettes, whereas mm -hmm. this uh, Itrus by is influenced by surrealism. So the whole point is supposed to be like normality that then has these dream like qualities invading. it. Yeah, exactly. This is well, first of all, I, I might, we might as well talk about what that name means. Uh, the game is from 2012, 2013, somewhere in there, and it is Norwegian. Yes, indeed. Uh, so that name isn't just sort of frippery. It just means Itra's city, the city of Itra, because Itra is a character in the game. Well, uh, and it's it's it. Well, so I mean, Itra is a character that. In, that uh, influences the game in various ways. Yeah, the Itra is the goddess who created this city, and it's mm -hmm. essentially uh, their dream is what this city is made of. Hey now, hey now, <laughs> this is what dreams are made of. Yeah, they, they built this city on Itra's dreams. <laughs> so... This is supposed to be a 1920s surrealist kind of that. Those are the influences. The city itself is supposed to be sort of a equal parts modern and old fashioned Norwegian city. Yeah, it's supposed to draw from both the 20s and the 30s, where you have this sort of roaring uh, hedonism 20s, like we got to go out and dance and there's jazz and surrealism, but then also like, oh, there's all of this depression from the 30s and this very looming gray sadness. And so it's trying to blend these together. And honestly, yeah. it's not like the game is bad at that. Honestly, reading this is super fun because you're like, oh, that's neat. And then again, you're just left with, cool, uh, I don't know how to play with your toys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've seen this before. Uh Occasionally, I will actually rant and rail against people who are like, I like to buy role-playing game books, not because the book is good, but because I like reading in the bathroom. I mean, whatever. Will, if that's you, what you want to yeah. read, you can read it. No, I know. I just hate it when it's an argument for why a book is good. Except here, I actually really like this book for reading in the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, given that it's not exactly like, oh, I gotta dig deep into these rules. You're like, oh, the reason that you get this is because you want to read about the setting. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty and and the book knows that. The the setting doesn't end. This is a 200-page book. The setting doesn't end until about page 150. Oh yeah. It spends a ton of time going over every single one of the different areas of the city, the different people in the city, places of note, things that are weird, little uh like background ideas and then Eventually, you get to, like, page 90 of 200, and it's like, hey, did you know you could make a character in this setting? And you're like, oh, okay. 
Yeah, yeah. And and making a character is a very, very simple proposition. It's you you uh, basically just pick a name, pick a couple of things about yourself, pick what you're up to, and you're done. Yeah. Most of what character creation is in this is, so how does your character play into the whole idea of this city? Yeah, exactly. How do you fit in? What makes you sort of a perfect person to be on a little surrealism quest in the 20s? Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. How should we start this one? Do you want to start just talking about the city of Eatris Spy and what's going on there? Or do we want to do I mean, that's, character creation? I was going to say the actual city is pretty much the meat of this book. Mm -hmm. So we can do that. Uh, we could go over character creation, though. Again, it's not a lot. We might as well. I mean, hell, it's not going to take a bunch of time. No, no, not at all. I mean, you really only pick two things. Well, you have to pick at least. Well, no, I mean, there's two categories of things that you pick, and you can pick more than one inside of those categories. Does that, does that sound better? Sure. Okay. So you're going to want to create a character by how you feel about uh, getting involved in surreal. The example characters are things like, oh, my character is a dream, or at least she thinks she might be a dream. She isn't sure. There are scientists who told her that she's a walking dream, but she doesn't know what whether or not she is because that would be real logic, and she uses dream logic because she might be a dream. Hmm. Uh, that's kind of the, the character. Like, that's your outlay. That's where you start. You pick a, a wild, interesting reason why your character exists. Yeah, you're going to start with just sort of your basic idea of, you know, what kind of a character do I want to have? You know, where am I in the city? Because each different zone sort of has its own, like, culture behind it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, it, and you've got a lot of different factions that you can participate in and are encouraged to participate in. Oh, um, yeah. You've got, you know, like the, the Churchillians and the Grey Guard and the Grimasks and the the city apes, uh, all, all just different groups of people who are kind of shoved together in this city. Uh, you can pick to you can choose to play as one or you can play as people who are from outside the, the city or have been born here, but aren't part of one of these uh, cultures. Notably, the city itself it's got one of those, this is the only place in the world kind of vibes. Well, because it is. Yeah. The, uh, because the whole thing is, is the dream. Yeah, because it was created as the dream. Everything that is outside of the city is just dream stuff. So it turns into chaos. It's if you've ever, you know, looked at Exalted and know about the, uh, the Fey Wild, it's just that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's called the fringes here, but basically Weird things appear from it, and things that go into it sometimes come back, sometimes come back different, sometimes don't come back. You got the basic idea. Yeah, the the farther you go in, the more reality breaks down. Yes. So once you've basically picked your character, written down a bunch of interesting descriptions about them, uh, kind of the way that they interact with the world and the world interacts with them, you're going to want to pick something about them that is uh, quirky, unique, and actionable inside of the game. Yeah, now these are dramatic qualities, mm -hmm. and these are supposed to be some defining things about your character. And I do like that, at least with the examples here, they're like, all right, uh, the character Thomas Chesterfield has a goat's hoof, but it's not a dramatic quality because it's not something that he wants to use and play or emphasize or have actually be one of those things that's like, oh, yes, this is what I want my character to be about. It's just mm -hmm. sort of a thing. 
So instead of a dramatic quality, it's just a way that you would, you know, describe them in the same way you'd be like, ah, yes, uh, I have green eyes and a goat hoof. That's not really going to change how my character plays, though. Yeah, this game's not about my goat hoof. Are you still looking at my goat hoof? (laughs) My eyes are up here, buddy. Now, if you were, as they say again, if you're like, oh, if you want it to be like, ah, the goat hoof makes everyone want to, like, drink and party because you've essentially got, like, Pan's goat hoof or whatever. You're one quarter Pan. (laughs) Then, great, sure. That's a dramatic quality. Mm Mm-hmm. Similar to how Pan is one half Vegeta. (laughs) So I guess if you're one quarter Pan, then you're Vegeta's great, great granddaughter or son. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good to know. Okay. Uh, You pick up to four of these, these, uh, what are they called again? Dramatic qualities. Mm -hmm. I think you can choose more than that if you want to. It's just that they recommend one to four. Yeah. Uh, And they don't have, they don't really have rules associated with them. I'm looking at an example of uh, Momdada, who's basically like a a big Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost, Hmm. uh, where she can communicate with the dead. And her dramatic qualities are things like disturbing. She likes to perform pranks on behalf of dead people. The dead love making things complicated, though, so they make everyone everyone's lives, inc- including hers, extra complicated. Yeah. The, the dramatic qualities are just like, hey, what's a thing you want to come up during the game? And they have a, like, set list in the book where it's like, oh, what are different types of qualities you could have? All right, well, here are examples. But the book very much says, look, you can take one or more of those if you want to, but you should Mm -hmm. for sure have at least one that you make up yourself because we want the whole point of this is to have everything be very individually styled. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's basically your game and it's going to be it. it, Actually, I was really surprised to learn when I made it my way all through all the way through the book that this game has a GM role. I thought this was going to be a full collaborative kind of shared storytelling event. And it almost is like the GM is supposed to get out of the way in most situations. Anything the players say is also true. Oh, yeah. The I mean, we'll get into it when we get to the resolution on this. But yeah, Uh, let's see what else. The other things you're going to look at, it wants you to make personality. Obviously, just have a personality. Uh, and then you've got intrigue magnet is the big one. Yeah, I think. the intrigue magnets. So, what are your agendas? What do you want to do? What's the thing that drives you to do dumb garbage? Yeah, it's a good name for what we would normally call in a role playing game character design hooks. Yeah, like they're they're. Uh, am I trying to become a member of like the royal family? All right, that's my intrigue magnet. Yeah, exactly. Uh. That that's the the character Bob has that he his he doesn't he isn't sure where he came from he appears to have just appeared from the fringes one day and his goal is to marry into a royal family and be rich and famous and his power is that he or his uh, dramatic quality is that people just like him he just seems likable and trustworthy why wouldn't he be yeah so so his goal is to attend a bunch of high society parties until he settles down with a rich debutante and becomes a rich guy and that's his goal and. You know, you can have something like that. You can have things be either I want to become part of one of the weird factions or I already am and I want to further their agenda. You know, maybe you are like, oh, I've got, you know, something to avenge or I want to find my missing daughter or whatever it happens to be. It is what is your 
driving purpose for why you aren't just someone in the background. Yeah. And sometimes it's okay for your your intrigue magnet to just be, I'm an agent of chaos, and I want to contribute chaos and disorder to the game setting. You don't actually have to have a be-all, end-all goal. Uh, for example, if we go back to the example character Momdata again, hers is just to act as a medium for ghosts and play pranks on people and bring humor to the world. That's her whole goal. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't need to be like, ah, yes, I'm here to take over the city. You just be like, oh, I just want to have fun. And by have fun, I mean do dumb garbage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the example characters are pretty fascinating. There's one that we're definitely not bringing up at the moment because as nice as it is to see that kind of character represented in the game world, the writing isn't necessarily the best job in the world, at, which is the, the, the for Julia. Or, sorry, just Julia. Yeah. The character of Julie is the trans character that they have as a sample character. Mm -hmm. and she the way that they write about her is both it, occasionally like oh this is good this is fine like the whole thing is nope she's a woman that's it mm -hmm. uh but you know they're also like oh but, but make sure no one sees under your dress yeah it's it's a combination of respectfully treating her by the gender role that she has chosen for herself and being unnecessarily coy about everything. Yeah. Instead and, of, and that's the whole thing. Yeah, instead of just saying like, oh, uh, you know, she was assigned male at birth, whatever, and now she's a lady, that's fine. Well, I think the other problem is that her entire uh, panoply, her, her intrigue magnet and her drama or dramatic qualities are all related to this as well. I mean, that, and that's okay if you wanted to play a person who's trans experience is the central focus of their of their of their character that's fine but in this case her intrigue magnet is don't secretly have a penis anymore yeah i mean essentially her intrigue magnet is i want bottom surgery uh-huh so in a world where you know it's the 1920s so that's not really a thing yet so yeah her intrigue magnet is to find a cure for this quote unquote condition put quite simply whether the solution lies in science, dream, or alchemy. Okay. And it's like, yeah, that's a that's a fair goal, but boy, it it, it feels weird that they've got one trans character in the game and their and their only goal is don't be. Well, no, it's I want, you know, bottom surgery. <laughs> I want the rest of it. I want the rest yeah, you're right. Uh the appearance is listed as plump and feminine. Perhaps a bit too feminine? Something's a bit off. Something about her face or her hands, maybe? So you get the idea. It's a little too coy. Like if they had just come out and said it, this is an M this is an assigned male at birth character. And I mean, luckily the world as a whole largely accepts her in, in all respects. She's got tons and tons of male suitors who are excited about her because she's the best cabaret dancer in the city. Yeah. And honestly, again, a lot of it is very much like, Oh, this is a very trans experience of the personality being like, she's a diva with, great dresses and long gloves and magnificent taste and if only she had the physique to mass match her fate it seems is to be trapped in a world and body that doesn't correspond to her and she is eternally depressed and i'm like yeah i get that body dysmorphia sucks a whole lot of ass it absolutely does uh but i mean ultimately it's an interesting character i feel like they could have tightened up the language a bit but it's uh it she's not the worst no, honestly, again, the fact that 
she's not treated as a joke in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a sample player character. This isn't like, oh, and maybe this is one of the quirky people you'll see in the city. You're like, oh, That's no, this true. is someone you would want to play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, she has two of the dramatic qualities. The first one is gender ambiguous, which I actually kind of appreciate. Uh, although I don't know if I don't know if I should or shouldn't. Um, it's that she knows full well that she's assigned male at birth and can take advantage of that when she needs to. Yeah. And, and the other one is that she is uh, admired, uh, which is just that she has tons and tons of male suitors. So there's always people bringing her flowers and writing her poems and and win and she can easily win people over. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm hmm. Uh, so you also need to pick connections. Everybody in the party should pretty much know everybody else in the party, and you should also know a few people in the city that you can always say, oh, I'll go visit this person as a way to keep the story rolling. Yeah, you need to have some supporting characters that are just like, all right, you know, come up with someone that's a friend or someone that's a customer of yours or, you know, your boss or coworker, whatever it happens to be, make up a couple people that, you're like, oh, yeah, during the game, you can go ahead and use these in the same way that yeah. it, you'd use the intrigue magnets as, all right, here's a hook to get me into whatever your adventure is. Here's also some more hooks, but these are people rather than goals. The other thing I like about that with the connection system and the encouragement to use people from the town is that this isn't kind of that Forgotten Realm style ivory tower meta story, don't mess with these NPs. NPCs because they're better than you kind of design. It's like, yeah, hey, if we put anybody in this book, be friends with them. Fuck it. It's a town. It's not like it's not like if your your D&D character was like, oh, and by the way, my character is friends with Elminster. Yeah, because in this game where you don't have stats, you don't have any specific abilities outside of anything that you would have, you know, said as part of your uh, like weird qualities that it doesn't really matter if I want to say, ah, oh, yeah, I know a god and they're my friend. You're like, great, cool. It doesn't, that's not a thing that's going to change the game outside of story-wise. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, it, it's helpful just because this book is like 75% story. So it's nice that they're like, hey, here's this big complicated story. Feel free to get in there and touch everything. It's fine. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of sidebars in this where they have mm-hmm. uh, little exercises for either the players or the GM. And a lot of it is go through, you know, this section, find some things you like, find some things you want to change, find some things you want to get rid of. Itris by should be your city when you run it. Don't feel like just because we put down the fact that there is like the thousand taverns and there are some named places you could go to. If you want to make an entire other thing, go for it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I like the loose approach to uh, to world building that this game presents us with. And again, what they did present us with is fun and interesting to read. I mean, it gets a little samey after a while because 1920s surrealism is only... I mean, yeah, okay, everything sounds like a slightly older-fashioned episode of Doctor Who. I got it. Thank you. Uh... Oh, that's whimsical. <laughs> I mean, again, that's just me being grumpy that's just you uh, being actually, you i i really like this game I, I i i should say i really like this story i like this world oh yeah i very much enjoy the stuff that they've given again because unlike 
say, a Numenon where everything is like, you open a door and now you've become a puppet. You are on stage. How do you dance? You're like, oh, God, this is insufferable. At least this is like, hey, you could be, uh, you know, a standard accountant that goes to work. But one day, like, you get hit by a, a unicorn and it tells you that you need to give it a carrot. And now you have to go on an adventure to find a carrot. Like, that's weird, but at least it has some grounding. There's structure. There is some stuff here that you can at least put your claws in and hold on to. Well, I think part of the difference between this and Numenon is that Numenon was supposed to be an example or an examination of the psyche. Uh, I mean, when it's like, oh, you're on you're on stage and you're a puppet. How do you dance? It's like, okay, how do you react to external pressures? Uh what are the strings? Who's holding your strings? Uh, what What do the the external pressures force you to do? Uh, and it's it's interesting, but it does kind of lose luster fairly quickly. Where this is more an examination of an era of art and fiction, because mm-hmm. uh, it's very based on 1920s like uh, silent movies, noir, the 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 uh, surrealist art of the time. Uh, all of those things are kind of wrapped together, and then you're supposed to kind of poke at it and examine what those art were meant to make people feel uh surrealism was supposed to be sort of an examination of dream states uh how do they interact with reality what do they look like and i think they've done a very good job here of uh of of capturing that yeah i think there's enough stuff in here that is also very like normal when you have stuff like oh there's just you know the gray guard and they're just sort of the police here and there's nothing weird about them they're just people in gray and, you know, you've got a zoo and the zoo <laughs> is mostly a sham, but also that's kind of hilarious to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of it is just fun shams or interesting people or mysterious things happening in the background that if you if you touch them, they unravel dramatically, mm-hmm. which I like. I like a lot of that. Uh, before we leave character creation, I did want to say that some of the dramatic qualities that they give as examples I found kind of disappointing. Uh, just because they don't feel especially dramatic. Well, I mean, especially because they're like, you should make up your own. Use these as an example. You're like, oh, you're not giving me a lot of ideas to jump off from here. Yeah, the one that I thought was the worst example of one, because there's some that are especially good, like uh, Master Thief, which is just where your character may be an old rich guy, but technically he's the world's greatest thief, and no one knows that at night he sneaks out and steals memories and trinkets. Yeah, it's but just, there's one, there's, oh, there's a reason that I am currently in the upper class, even though I'm not nobility. Ha ha! Yeah, and there's one I'm going to read, and it's a short one, and it's the only thing I'm going to read out loud from this book, and it's called Raja Ling- Lingam. Uh, in Alan's fridge li- lives Raja Lingam, a guru who knows everything. He utters cryptic sayings and prophecies, which are almost always true, but Alan never listens to him. To Alan, it's almost as if Raja Lingam doesn't exist. Uh, what's dramatic about having a thing that you completely ignore and take no influence from? Well, the whole point is you've got this weird thing and for you, it seems normal, but this is something that would affect the game by making it a dramatic quality. You're saying, I want you to use this. You, you could have just said, oh yeah, I've got a, a little guru that lives in my fridge and if you didn't turn it into a dramatic quality, be like, yeah, I, sometimes I open the fridge and get some milk and he's in there and is like, let me tell you about inner peace. And then I shut the door and I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. okay. So basically, 
which you've said is trap dramatic quality for other players because you'd ignore it completely. But they'll come to your house and you'll be like, please go ahead, help yourself to a fine ale from the fridge. And they'll open it. And a little man in there is like, hello, my name is Sanskrit for King Penis. <laughs> uh, which that's what Raja Ling does. <laughs> uh, please, would you like to hear the story of why birds can fly? And they're like, this is fucking amazing. Did you know you have King Penis in your fridge? Oh, really? I don't uh, normally buy that brand. <laughs> oh, you talking about Raja Lingam? Don't, don't. He, that guy sucks. Look, guy, if you if never... you talk to him, he's just going to keep going. <laughs> Once you start him. He's going to start talking about your inner light and chakras or some shit. Just close the door. It's fine. I'm going to, when I create my bonus content character for this one, John, you can bet my dramatic quality is going to be Mr. Bimble. Oh, you better bet my dramatic quality is Raja Ligma. <laughs> Wait, who's Mr. Bimble? <laughs> Raja Ligma balls. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's pretty much character creation. Uh, you may be wondering, since you never actually wrote down any numbers or anything, how do you role play? Uh, and good news, it's via some cards. Yeah, 90% of the time, the game is like, uh, just you know, tell a story. If you say my character does something, just have them do it. Like you don't need to worry about like, Oh, but I need to roll to see if I climb this rope. You're like, no, just climb a rope. Who gives a shit? If you think it would be more interesting that you fall, then you will tell the story of you falling off a rope. If not go do whatever you want to do. Well, yeah, and, and also this game isn't really going to lend itself especially well to the classic combat loop model. It's not like you could be like, your party's wandering through the grayish part of town when you are accosted by six rotund fellows with gray beards. Each of them rides a unicycle and toots a kazoo. <laughs> uh, w do you roll initiative? Yeah, see, so <laughs> the game has, if you ever want there to be, like, some sort of element of chance or you know make it so that there's some tension to what's going on uh you can draw from one of two different decks that they have mm -hmm. there are resolution cards which are all just cards that say things like yes and mm -hmm. yes but no but and so on to be like all right say what you wanted to do and then you draw a card and if you're like oh i got i want to like, push this guy on a unicycle down. All right. Mm -hmm. I got yes, but. So I do. I push him down. But there's something that doesn't go as planned. And I don't get to resolve that. Yeah, other people do. Usually the, the, the GM, but with allowances available for other players to kind of toss in suggestions. Yeah, you can. Whoever draws the card, basically, like I can say, I'm going to push this guy down. Hey, Jeff, draw a card. You'll draw it, right. and it'll say, all right, yes, but only if, and then you get to say, okay, you can push him down, but only if you let one of the other guys with kazoos run off with your pet teddy bear. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there are, is one yes and card, which is the closest thing to a critical, critical success that this game is going to generate, which is you get what you want, and also you get extra stuff. There are three yes but cards. Uh, I mean, I, I get that. I'm also very much in favor of but. Yes, but, I say. Yes, uh, but. but <laughs> that's what I say every time I'm at a gentleman's club. <laughs> Hell yes, but. 
Uh. No, there's three different yes, but algor- or, or uh, variations. One of them is you get what you want, but a bad thing happens. One of them is you get what you want, but not in the way you wanted to get it. And the last one is you get what you want, and somehow you get too much of what you want. And then there's no and, which is the worst possible outcome. Bad things happen and more bad things happen. Or no but, which is you don't get what you want, but a good thing happens. Yeah. I like the one of the cards, which is just help is needed. And it's oh, yeah. just a great prompt for, yeah, you can accomplish whatever the thing is you set out to do, but you're going to need help from someone else. And it could mm-hmm. be an immediate thing like, oh, you need one of the other players to help you shove this guy over. Or you could be like, all right, I'm going to create my new alchemical recipe. And then you pull help as needed. You're like, oh, now we've got an entire thing where you can say, yes, there's a scientist in the futurists who has the only one who knows how to make a chemical compound you need. Uh, Yeah, so it can create a whole secondary adventure. Uh, I mean, it'd be tricky if you're like, I'm going to push this fat guy in a unicycle over. And it's like, help is needed. Ah, to do that, you will need the help of the dragon that is in the opium den's basement. (laughs) Yeah, but at that point, you're like, oh, that's weird. (laughs) This guy can only be pushed over by a dragon? Huh. (laughs) Yeah, you've learned something very fascinating about the character. You've got that right. That is very true. (laughs) But it isn't isn't necessarily helpful to the current situation. Hmm? Uh, Now, the other Uh, thing that you can use, uh, rather than resolution cards, which are all those are what are called chance cards. Mm -hmm. And they mostly send you to jail or get you out of jail. (laughs) They mostly let you go to a railroad. Have you win a beauty contest? (laughs) Oh, no, I forgot to pay sales tax. (laughs) So a chance card, uh, everyone in the game, even the game master, can only draw from the chance cards once per game session. And you just sort of decide, you know, I want this scene to be more interesting. And you just mm-hmm. pull a card and some weird crap happens. So it'll be like, oh, uh, all right, well, I pulled Nemesis. This card awakens the character's Nemesis. In some way, the arch enemy affects the situation. And so at that point, you just have to come up with what nonsense is going on now. Yeah, absolutely. And these are pretty fascinating. There's a lot of them I really like that are sort of meta storytelling text uh, stuff, like cutscene, which is just... Whatever was happening isn't happening anymore. You cut to three hours later. You could describe what what state the characters are in now, but you absolutely cannot talk about anything that occurred in the previous three hours. Yeah, you just sort of cut and you're like, oh, man, that was fucked up, right? (laughs) Why are we on top of this building? Uh, Well, you know what happened. None of us are going to talk about what happened. Don't worry about what happened. And, you know, sometimes you pull a card and you're going to look at it and go, man, I have no idea how this would relate to what I'm doing. You might be having a scene where you're like, ah, yes, I'm finally going to go, I don't know, blow up this building. And you get, ah, Amor Victor, the power of love triumphs in this situation? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If if that kind of thing happens, then you can be like, okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to pause for a bit while we figure out what the hell this card means. Yeah. And I like that. I like having a resolution system that's essentially just, uh, here's some random crap, figure it out, because, hey, the whole point of this being surrealist is, oh, it turns out love saves the day. 
I actually fall in love with the building that I was going to blow up because I see its beauty for the first time. Great. Weird. Yeah, exactly. A mood change is another one where it would be a really interesting role-playing experience. Mood changes. Everybody present in the entire scene that you're setting right now instantly changes their mood to the exact opposite of whatever their mood was, and it lasts for the rest of the scene. And unlike cutscene, you are allowed to explain why, but it's a pretty fascinating discussion for why everyone angry is suddenly laughing their ass off and everybody who was was fine with the situation now absolutely is not yeah it's it's It's, a thing that i'm glad they have where it's like oh you can only pull once per session and you don't have to mm -hmm. but if you want things to just sort of go sideways in an unpredictable way pull from the deck yeah i think it's a neat idea uh, this is definitely part of the game that I do think would be playable. The only thing I, we, we've talked already about how this is one of those games where, uh, it seems fascinating, but who would know how the fuck to run it? Uh, largely that's just because the advice sections for the game tend to be a little bit on the inscrutable side. They'll be like, oh yeah, just run this adventure as if, uh, you were doing it in the style of Roald Dahl and PG Wodehouse. Oh, sure. And then it'll like just I move do. along and you're like, What? <laughs> I almost had you, you had me at Dahl, and then you lost me again at Wodehouse. Because if it's Dahl, it's just bad shit happens all the time. No moral. (laughs) Bad things happened, and it's probably because of something you did, but maybe not. (laughs) Kid gets punished. Smart kid rewarded. Uh, I would love a Roald Dahl role-playing game. I'm not going to lie to you right now. (laughs) Well... We'll work on that as soon as we get our Duckman RPG up off the ground. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's impossible. Yes, I've managed to find some interesting connections in an attempt to get to uh, the Duckman license, but I'm at a point where I have to email Ahmet Zappa, and I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I have the clout. (laughs) I don't know if that's a thing you could just do. And what, pray tell, do you think Ahmet Zappa would be like if he's going through his day and he gets an email that's just like, Hi, You've never heard of me. I really want to make a role-playing game from the Duckman license. What do you think they're going to be like, huh, okay. (laughs) Now, I know you don't technically have the Duckman license, but you did inherit your dad's estate, and he was somehow deeply connected to Duckman in a way that I don't personally or fully understand. Uh, (laughs) That means that I feel like I need to reach out to you in the hope that maybe you know Jason Alexander, who might know people at, at... I think I want to say the USA network. This is going to be the hardest thing in the world. (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem with the Duckman license. I have I know people occasionally will ask us like you wrote that that silly game for an April Fool's joke. What what if you made it real? And I got to tell you, it would be more interesting to make a role playing game about acquiring the license to make a Duckman role playing game. (laughs) Because here's who owns Duckman. Everyone. You own five percent of Duckman. Who knew? Not. Yeah, everybody in the world. Some sort of class action lawsuit happened, and now Duckman is owned by Fox, Klasky Supo, Paramount, the Zappa family, uh, Dark Horse Comics, a comic artist by the name of Everett Peck, uh, and just about everybody else in the world as well. Great. So we've been talking for a while. You want to actually talk about this setting? No, I was hoping we could completely avoid it, just not review most of the book. Yeah, you know, like we normally do. (laughs) How you doing? (laughs) Uh, I'm doing great, because I'm about well, to tell you about Itris by... Perfect, as long as I don't have to do it. Fire away, John. So, the town has a few different zones that it is split up into. 
Mm-hmm. And the book just sort of goes area by area, giving you the highlights of each one of those. So you yes. have Church Hill, which for a, a game that's set in the 20s, I'm like, I wouldn't think Winston Churchill would be a big thing in the 20s, but sure, why not? There's a lot of references to Churchill in here. Uh, well, it's mostly just the Churchillians. Yeah, there's a whole society of people that live there that do mysterious things uh, in relation to what exists outside the fringe zone and uh, have their own kind of complicated event, uh, agenda. They are called the Churchillians, and they're all like little rotund men in striped suits that are constantly bustling around. Oh, the Churchillians aren't the ones that give a shit about the outside. Oh, I thought they did. I thought they were like, there's a section where one of them is described as leaning a ladder against a church and climbing out of the world. I thought that was their... Oh, well, whatever. No, that's just a weird thing later on in the book where they're like, oh, you see a Churchillian doing a weird thing. Mostly they're just like anarchists that are trying to mess with the authorities, which, yeah, that sounds like Winston Churchill. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) also they just, you know, like to go around and smoke cigars and be in bowler hats and have canes and they, yeah, I think we eventually learned that their cigars smoke, or their, the cigars they smoke are made out of, like, chopped up fog. That's fog that's made out of old tobacco and dreams. Well, yeah, because they're constantly puffing cigars, which then creates a fog around the city. And then when it gets cold enough, the frost forms on the fog, and they shave the fog to turn into new filling for new cigars that they then roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of the loops in this game sound like new yorker cartoons and that's fine yeah there's a whole bunch of little things in like the churchill section and everything else where they'll give you just small snippets of life where you know i'll be like oh uh there's essentially a halloween that takes place on the 13th of october and one point Two scientists thought that was bunk, and then they showed up the next day, and their hair was white as chalk, and they'll never talk about it again. You're like, okay, great, cool. Yeah, that's neat. I guess you can encounter them in a bar, and they'll be sitting there with white hair, and you'll be like, what's up, fellas? And and they'll be like, we can't talk about it. <laughs> great, okay, I'll have an adventure. Yeah. Uh, there's, what else is in the, the, the red light district is there, right? Uh, there's the opium den is there. There's the Park of Tears, which has a river in it that is said to, if you drink from it, you'll find their true love. Mm -hmm. And also, there's a bunch of people in huts out in the pond that are experimenting on dreams. Like, there's a lot of weird crap. Yeah, the, uh, the, 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 Park of Tears has a like a pond or lake or river in it with a bunch of stilt huts, and the people who live in the stilt huts are su- supposedly uh, ancient gods. I think Indian gods specifically, who Egyptian. because no one Egyptian, who since no one worships anymore, they have shrunken and become tiny little gnome people who live out there and experiment on dreams. Yeah, and they're they have dream hieroglyphs that if you can manage to read them, then you can, you know, understand dreams and perhaps change them 
Yeah. And then there's the Opium Den, which is run by a very caricature Chinese guy who keeps a blue dragon chained in his basement, and he mixes blue dragon scales in with the opium. There is A and negative A Street, which is a street that both exists and does not exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. Very sideways story from Wayside School. And uh, if you go in there, you'll probably go crazy. Yeah, or you'll learn everything all at once and be unable to tell anyone else about it ever. It's basically used for doing super meta fourth wall breaking stuff, where when you go to A by negative A Street, like you become your player instead of your character kind of things. That's it, It's for that kind of, I, I need a reason to do something exceedingly wild within the game setting. You know that, or you're like, oh, we find an oracle, and it's just someone who went to A and negative A Street and came back, and they only speak in riddles, but they always speak the truth. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's all just really basic old riddles. So the fact that they're true isn't very useful. <laughs> what has two hands and a face? Uh, that's right, a clock. Uh, what? Okay, but that's that's that's, that's, that's not that's not helpful. Thing. A clock, you see, for it has a face and two hands. Okay, yeah, but that's not. Yeah, but I also have a face and two hands. Oh shit! You blew my mind. A box. A box in which a golden treasure is hid. Yeah, okay, we've all read The Hobbit. No, dude, wait, hold on, it's an egg! Uh, yeah, the, let's see, there's also the Black Bay, which is your uh, dock workers, and there are mysterious shipments from outside of the fringes that come in on weird, dark ships, and it's, uh, you know, a place where you can go ahead and be like, ah, let's have salty sea adventures and go out onto the ocean and i don't know that fight sea monsters me. and shit yeah that part stuck me because there's a really interesting fictional story included in there i guess it's all fictional story but you know what i mean like hmm. there's a narrative uh of a, an old man who lives out on the dock and sells people whale stomachs oh yeah and it's just jonah yeah it's literally jonah and he's like Oh, yeah, every whale stomach's got something interesting in it. Oh, well, not everyone, but the good ones do. So people buy them not knowing what's in them because the mystery of purchasing them is more valuable than the contents you'll find inside. Yeah, he's basically set up his own, like, lotto scratchers, but it's whale stomachs. Right, which, uh, I, whale stomachs are absolutely enormous, so I guess it's just cool whale stomachs as opposed to like, all right, you're going to need six wheelbarrows to get this thing out of here. What's in there, anyway? A thin slurry of seawater and krill. Yeah, but sometimes treasure's in there, or weird nonsense. Things that shouldn't That's be true. in there, given that they wouldn't normally eat it. Because, you know, surrealism. That's right. Yeah. There's also was, uh, a bunch it, of lions that prowl around here, and they're mostly just like yeah, street cats. Yeah, they're just called the backyard lions, and their deal is that they escaped from the zoo at some point and just became local. Uh, they don't. They aren't huge threats to the people because that's too much hassle for them. But they are huge threats to house pets and and uh, local wildlife. Yeah, they're very shy. They'll just sort of run away from you. But there are just lions roaming around the streets, and not just lions, John, but apes. Oh yes, there are intelligent apes. Uh, they have their own little place uh, that isn't here, but on Mint Knoll. Yeah, Gorilla City. It's uh, it's where they plan their their world gorillification rays and so on. Oh yeah, well you know it's where mm -hmm. the main NPC of Grodd hangs out. Uh huh. 
and the secondary main NPC that hates Grodd, Solovar. They're all out there doing <laughs> ape things. You know, ape stuff. Just ape things. Uh, so Mint Knoll is the high society one. It's where the so-called import nobility live, because mm-hmm. back when it was first made, uh, certain families helped out Itrus in like fighting back against the things from the fringes. And she was like, all right, you have authority over the incoming shipments that we get from some other random god who decided to trade with us. And so they have a ton of money and influence because they're essentially in charge of all of the goods that come in. Right. Uh, And they are where you do high society intrigue and costume ball stories and stuff like that. They also have, oddly enough, uh, an entire D&D LARP group. I, uh, I'm afraid you cut out for a second there, John, so I did not hear what they have an entire of. Uh, I assume they have an entire whole ass. They have an entire D&D LARP group, is what I said. Ah, okay, yes, I remember that. Yeah, they, um, the Salon of the Subduers of Darkness are just, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of being rich assholes who go on safari, they're rich assholes who go into the, like, caverns and dungeons below Itris by and fight lizard men. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then they come home and they have high society parties and they sit around fires and snuffle into their monocles and and drink brandy. I saw 14 lizard men, not just the other day. Each larger than the previous one. (laughs) Ah, yes, the previous one. Very small. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. There's a point somewhere in this book where it describes that you can encounter uh, 13 gurus all perched on the top of of, uh, stone plinths located a kilometer from each other. And the book says, each one of them is wiser than the last, and the last one isn't human. And I was like, oh, okay, so he's like a dog or something? Because all 12 of the other ones are wiser than him, so... Oh, yeah, the last one's just a complete moron. (laughs) He got 12 gurus on poles, and then you go around to the last one, and there's just a friendly dog there. (laughs) Huh. One of those one of those really big, stupid ones. Yeah, just a big old St. Bernard has managed to get into his own brandy. Yeah, he's in his own he's has no idea how he got on top of an obelisk, and he's just up there like <laughs> if you if you get up to him, he's just happy to see you. Oh, a visitor, yay. <laughs> I love you. Uh, uh let's uh, see. There's also what? the downtown section that is where the main moon tower is, which is where the goddess used to live, but she left 300 years ago, and now a giant spider lady lives there and sends out her gray guard to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book makes it very clear that Nindra, who was the current inhabitant of the moon tower, is completely a spider, like has no human thoughts of any kind. It has spider thoughts. <laughs> Big spider energy. Big spider energy, just waving that spider energy around. Just coming in here, waving it around, spraying her stink on things with her big, jiggly spider face. Indeed. Yeah, uh, and she has she has the Grey Guard, which are like the creepy, muscly cops of the town. Ah, uh, the muscle cops. <laughs> right. Hot well, they're kind of like, they're, they're basically like Dick Tracy bad guys. I mean, honestly, they're just like... Hey, we're the like they're the least interesting thing in here because they literally yes. are just hey we're uh we're the police like that's it <laughs> like we don't we don't really have anything going on there's no weird secret mysteries behind us we're ju- we just get paid to keep the peace like that's us 
Right. And Nindra and Nindra and her gray guard might as well be the lady of pain and Davis because they are the one thing in the book that they're like, hey, you can play as a member of the Grey Guard if you want, but they're not that interesting. And you cannot interact with Nindra. She's a giant spider inside of an unassailable tower. Well, yeah, she, you're, the whole o- thing, you're only going to feel the whole thing with the moon tower is like if you try to go up the moon tower like before Nindra did, she was just one of the members of high society and climbing the tower turned her into a giant spider. So, you know, you probably get messed up trying to climb the tower. It'll happen to you. But basically, th- she's the character in the story where they're like, this is a person whose influence you feel. You can't be friends with Nindra. She's a spider. <laughs> yeah, you can't just be like, sup, Nindra. Nindra will be like, chitter. Click, 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 click. I would like fluids, please. Uh, one Give of the me other fluids interesting in, mo- in, in animals. One of the other interesting things I really like about downtown is Friday Street, the street that only appears on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So it means it's got a 52-day year. Yep. And so it's just interesting for, oh, who are the people that live there? Oh, mostly people that either can't deal with normal life, or you have some people who are like, oh, I uh, I live here because I'm waiting for Itris to come back. And so every time the street shows up again, I just ask anyone who visits to be like, Hey, is Ninja back? And they've been there for like 800 years or yes, 100 years now or something. Yeah, there's like one guy who moved there on purpose because he opened a bank account in the regular part of the of the city and was like, well, I'm going to open a 100-year savings account and live here for, I don't know, 30 or 40 years and then come out and collect and be inher- incredibly wealthy. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and use surrealism and the power of compound interest to my advantage. <laughs> The surrealism thing really does play out very efficiently in these stories. You, as as we, we keep saying all these interesting things that happen, sometimes they're just sort of good intrigue for a 1920s town, like basic opium dens and shit like that. But a lot of the time it's things like, oh, there's intelligent apes that you can sometimes see in the background. There's lions that are prowling, but they're not dangerous to you. A lot of people in town have animal heads and no one ever talks about it. Yeah. Like one of the uh, main they- members of high society just has a musk ox head. I can't. Is that Boulder Beast? I kept yes. getting confused by that. Okay, good. So that is the the authors love a character that they named Boulder Beast, and I think he's just like a rich guy with a muskox head. Yep, and he's just nice, and he is in yeah, love he's... with one of the other like well-to-do ladies, and she is in love with him, but they're both too shy to admit it. Hooray! Mm-hmm. It's Beauty and the Beast. It's happening right there and then. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's it, see. It's supposed to be very dreamy. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's more. We could talk about the zoo. The yeah, zoo there's, has... There's the zoo with a whole bunch of, you know, either weird creatures like the fable-toothed tiger, mm-hmm. or shams that are just P.T. Barnum shit where it's like, what is this? Oh, we have a room where we keep a leviathan. Uh, however, this is a very small one because it was captured as a baby, and we gave it a special growth-restraining serum so it would not get too big. Ah, behold the legendary Esquilax with the head of a rabbit and the body of a rabbit. (laughs) There is also an apartment in the zoo that is perpetually occupied by one city ape 
they volunteer to go live there for a year so people can think there's an ape in the zoo. But for them, it's just a well-appointed apartment they go live in. Yep. Uh, the zookeeper as well is a old, bent man who does not realize that he himself, because he never goes home, he just sleeps in an animal cage at night because it's convenient, uh, he is actually an exhibit at the zoo. Yeah, people go there to see the zookeeper as well. Yes. There's... So that's kind of a fun idea. Yeah, there's... Uh some mad science stuff that goes on. There's a university where they have both alchemy and like death ray stuff. So whatever kind of ridiculous mad science nonsense you want to do, you can definitely do whatever flavor of that you want to bless this book for not mentioning Nikola Tesla by name. Thank you book. Yeah. God bless him for not being like, ah, there's a death ray. And of course our good friend, Nikola Tesla, (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. World's greatest genius. Not a creepy con man who was in love with pigeons. <laughs> See, the thing is, the real Nikola Tesla would be a great person to have an interest by. <laughs> <laughs> the movie Nikola Tesla would be a great person to have an interest by. Both of the them simultaneously Tes- would be a great thing to have an interest by. <laughs> That's fine. Also, they're at war with each other. Yeah. They keep shooting death rays that don't work at each other, and everyone else in town is like... What? What? Why? Why? And and the two of them are like, I shall kill you with my radio laser that fires through the very earth. And the other one's like, ah, that won't work. That's not scientific or anything. Meanwhile, I shall clone an army of myself. Oh, no. (laughs) They all turned against me. (laughs) Oh, no, we got got way too many Teslas. (laughs) Oh, it's like Hollywood in here. There's fucking way too many Teslas around. Hey, now. Hey. It's a car joke. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like, there are tons of things in here. Obviously, we can't get into all of them, but just... No, we can. Let's just keep going. All right, Three well, hour podcast. All right, here we go. Yeah, okay. All right, next up... <laughs> Page the ma- three. The Machine God. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Machine God uh, is uh, a machine god. That one's pretty pretty obvious. It's a big machine out, out in some hidden basement, and his goal is to automate the entire city by turning everyone else into machines, or at least getting them to act like machines. Well, yeah, his whole thing is, he's like, oh, I want the world to make sense. I'm the anti-surrealism god. And he sets up things where, like, occasionally the lampposts in the city will utter a green light when you go underneath them, and he steals the dreams from people so that he can invent things, because he has no imagination of his own. And then if you get zapped by the green light, then you just sort of become super boring and a shell of a person and perfect that's not a very exciting person it's exactly what he wants yeah and also he's got little helpers that go out the scissor men who are just dudes made out of knives hey we've seen that before that was in vanishing point oh yeah honestly reading this i was like ooh, this has a lot of vanishing point stuff that i like in it yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's at war with a group called the Futurists, which are also technological inventors and so on, but they're obsessed with chaos and explosions and gas masks. Yeah, they're basically like gnomes as their own thing. <laughs> the one picture in the book of a Futurist is ex- literally one of those two dummy little soldiers from Ralph Bakshi's Wizards traced. <laughs> I-, I was amazed when I saw it because the rest of the art is very 1920s kind of... I'm trying to remember the name of that New Yorker comic artist who kind of represented that era of of uh, very stylized caricatures of people. Mm. 
but uh, it's very much that. And then there's one picture that's just one of those little soldier dudes from Wizards, and that's a futurist. He's even got the same weird short, squat little body. So they are. They are gnomes. Yeah. And then there's the Morphicians, which are people who will make you interesting. Oh, yeah. If you're too boring, then the Morphicians will grab hold of you, judge you, and then do something to you. And from then on, your life will be way more interesting, whether for good or ill. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. There's a million different things to choose from. They did a great job with capturing the elements of uh, surrealism. And I think we're probably at a good point to to stop talking. Yeah, completely. And Podcast start getting done. real. Yeah, podcast done. Well, we made like 600-some episodes of, of various shows at this point between us. We should stop. Yeah. We will never speak again. And now, a vow of silence. <laughs> and now we shall diminish and go into the West. Uh, what would you say was your favorite thing about this, John? I really like the uh, the chance cards. I mean, I really I like the setting too, yeah. as well. But just the chance cards for being like, hey, uh, weird nonsense happens. You have to figure out how it fits into the scene. Is It's the same reason I love random tables in games is having something that might be completely incongruous with what's going on and having to find a creative way to make it fit into what you're doing is one of my favorite exercises. And so that being a, like one of the only core mechanics in this, I absolutely, absolutely. To me, it, it, it's not similar, especially, but it really feels like uh, the, the, the structure of Dr. Magnet Hands, where you'll just throw a random card down. You'll be like, I have nothing else, but I'm going to find a way to tell a story with this nonsense. Oh, yeah. I I absolutely love that level of creative improv that this absolutely. game wants you to do. Yeah, because you know, we've talked before about how some of our best role-playing experiences between the two of us have been, oh, we don't even have the book in front of us and we don't remember the rules. We're just going to pretend we're playing a game and make shit up. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say my favorite thing about this is how uh, simple and yet useful character creation comes out to be Mm -hmm. by saying by reducing a character to what is interesting and relevant about your character. Just write it down. And what does your character want? Just write it down. Uh, It makes it for a very simple process of how to play your character. When in doubt, go look at your sheet. What do you want? Okay, go after that. How do you do it? Look at the ways that you interact with the world. Done. You're all set. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that the game is basically like you can't min-max anything, you can't try and get lost in mechanics, you just have to sit down and go, all right, what are your what are your hooks? What are the things that your character cares about? That's the only thing that matters. Yeah, yeah, and I, I appreciate that. And sure, your character doesn't need to be entirely defined by those two qualities. You're writing down a lot of other stuff about your character so that if you're in a situation where your personal goals aren't really applicable you still have interesting ways to interact it's just nice that if you're ever at an impasse you can always look at your sheet and go oh yeah i want to get into the zoo i feel like i belong in the zoo i can change the color of my spots (laughs) then uh then you can just say hey i want to focus on this for a second and uh, the the, uh, book's advice section backs it up immensely by saying hey when you're playing this game never shoot anyone else down just don't sure there's a card that says no but you don't ever say no but yeah the i loved the advice section in this the whole thing is very much just hey this game is just improv the game and you should definitely play it that way don't be an asshole yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what would you say is your least favorite thing about this game? Oh, God. The least favorite thing about this probably has to be the... I mean, I don't want to say it's the setting because I absolutely love it, but I want to say it's the fact that you can't really go outside of the setting. The fact that the they have like this hard and fast, these are the fringes, and if you ever go past that, you just sort of die. They do make it clear that the fringes are really far out there. Like some of the hook adventures are things like, you get sent to go find a submarine that ventured out a few years back and you go way out to islands and so on that are still way out in the ocean, but are within the bounds of Vitrus Bai's existence. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, the same room. thing is there's like wilderness out there that has weird fringe monsters in it and whatnot, mm -hmm. but there's no other setting. Like there's nothing else there. <laughs> Yeah, so that is kind of... Uh, one thing I, I, I learned while I was trying to find a, uh, a useful set of the cards in the game uh, was that there are expansions with more cards and more settings. Oh, neat. So apparently you can get further outside of or at least more focused within Idris Pi. Oh, great. Well, then uh, I withdraw my complaint. There's nothing wrong with this game. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I would say if I'm picking something that I... I would say that... We talked about at the very beginning that uh, this is one of those games where when you look at it, you're like, wow, this is a fascinating read. I like the character creation model. The training wheels for how to run the game come off very quickly. It's really hard to think of what you're going to do in it. It's one of those games where we like it, but we feel like if I, unless I was running this with the guy who wrote it, I, I don't know that I would do a very good job. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is you really need to figure out with your players to be like if all of us are making cool interesting surreal characters there's a very small chance that any of us would actually get together and do a thing so having yeah, it be like oh we're all part of the futurists or something so that you actually have a reason to be together is very important in this game yeah, that's a common problem in, in games where you have a very broad range of where your character can come from, is that you can easily build a party that wants nothing to do with each other and doesn't. It, it, no one has any related goals. Oh, yeah, because you can be like, oh, I'm part of the, you know, import nobility, and I made a guy who loves going down into the caverns, and I'm basically made a classic adventurer, and someone else is like, oh, I made a city ape, and my entire goal is to set up a bakery. And you're like, okay, well, you know. There's great ingredients down in those caves. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could find ways to connect them. I, I uh, Like I was saying, just the advice on how to run the game. The advice section is brilliant. The advice on how to write adventures for games is all like, ah, just follow the examples of the great surrealists of history. And I'm like, you're going to have to help me out more. I am not an art historian, so that. But that is a very mild thing to bring up again. Um, overall, I was a fan of this. Yeah. Uh, would you play this game, John? Uh I definitely would want to try it. It's it's a game that I feel would be fun. Like if someone had an idea for an adventure and they were like, "Hey, come play Itrus by," I'd be like, "Sweet, I'm down." I love surrealist stuff. I think the setting is super interesting. I would definitely sit down and give it a shot. I don't know that I would want this to be like 
a campaign, but I would for sure play it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I can already think of people who I'd want to play this with. Like, this is a... Uh, basically, when we're done with this review, I know he always listens to our episodes anyway, but I'm going to go find the, ho- the, uh, the the leader of our network and be like, James, if you haven't run this yet, you need to put this on one shot because it is perfect for you. Oh, yeah. It's just an improv is- game. Yeah, it's an improv game with a bunch of surrealist shit and definitely a lot of room for smooching. There's a lot of romance shit. So this is right up his alley. I could see him running it very efficiently. I could see Adira Slattery running this game exceedingly well. I've already got... This is the kind of game where I could already see people I'd like to see running this game, running this game. Running this game. Running this game. My sentence made perfect sense. Oh, I know it did. I know it did. <laughs> so I, I think that this is a game that I could definitely play as well. Uh, and, and I'm going to go recommend it after this because I feel like it's something that, that people I know have been looking for. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. We would both play it, and we both think it's pretty damn good. So, a glowing review for Eatris Buy. Good job. You're weird. You get it on drive through RPG. <laughs> You're weird, but it's a good weird. Yeah, it's the good kind of weird. Like when a horse is your friend. That's weird, but that's not the good kind of weird. No, you're right. That's the, I don't really like horses, so I don't want one to be my friend. Yeah, get out of here, what's horses. Good, what's another example of the good kind of weird, John? Go. Uh, when you find an Andes mint in a bag. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I can see that. And it's not an Andes mint's bag, by the way. That's why it's weird. Yeah, yeah. What's it doing in here? This is a bag of Rolly Pops, uh, a candy I just made up that sounds good. (laughs) You know, you go grocery shopping and you get home and you you start taking out all your stuff from your bags. And then on the bottom of one, you find a little Andes mint. You're like, that's real weird, but it's good. Yeah. I was going to say... The night where I was hanging out with one of my friends in 2001, uh, when a bunch of extremely weird TV shows came on while we were trying to watch Gundam Wing on uh, Cartoon Network. And instead of Gundam Wing, it was like this show where where uh, a superhero with wings was a lawyer, and then like a bunch of fast food items got in fights over a giant rabbit. And, and we were like, what the fuck is this? And then we didn't know for like a year because the Adult Swim pilot was a stealth thing. They just called it special programming. Hmm. And for a year, we were like, did we really see that? Or were we just drunk? So that was a good weird for me. There you go. There you go. Hey, John, do you think people ought to support us in any kind of way? Yeah, probably not. Any kind of way at all? No. (laughs) No, they shouldn't. There's better things to spend your money on. Let's be realistic. The world is a fuck. (laughs) But if you want to... You can go over to patreon.com slash system mastery. And you know what? We're going to make characters in interest by. And so if you've listened to us before, you know that normally we get bogged down trying to tell you all the nonsense. This is going to be pure character. Yeah. The character creation section really helps us kind of focus in on rules that we may have missed in the game that it can sometimes unlock insights that we don't get to during the main episode. Uh, and, and that bonus content is available for a dollar per episode of system mastery at the, the $1 level. You get this. It's a really good deal. You're damn right. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's also two and $5 levels that unlock even more bonus content to the point where there's something like nine or 10 shows bonus a month. Good deal. If you're, if you need something to fill your earballs, we're the guys to come to. Yeah, we'll come to your ear balls. (laughs) We will come right in your ear balls, everybody. 50 bucks. (laughs) Same as in town. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So we got a lot of levels. Uh, Also, John, I think this is probably a good time to start talking about this on the show every now and again. 
Uh, you know how we wrote that that joke book that was stupid? Yes. Well, now we also wrote a cocktail guide. That is stupid. You can get it. <laughs> yeah, it's available for pre-order on Barnes & Noble and Amazon right now. It's called Dungeon Meister. It does have the umlaut, so good luck searching it. I'm sorry about that. That wasn't my first choice for what we should call it. No, that was one of the drinks that I made up, and I wish they didn't use it as the name for the book. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, ultimately, they were right. The title we were pitching was way too derivative. We wanted to call it Dungeons and Dragons, a drink book. <laughs> and that was going to get us in trouble. I mean, well, we got to be honest. Dungeons and Dragons, except now you get drunk. <laughs> D&D for short. Uh so that's available for like 15 or 16 bucks for pre-order. It's going to come out this December. It's a cocktail guide with 75 drink recipes for nerds for game nights, and we're really excited about it. It was fun to write. Yep. So go find it. You can find more about it. There's links posted and so on on our Discord, which you can find the link to our Discord on Twitter, and you can find the link to Twitter by going to Twitter. You know how to do that part. I don't need to help you there. Yeah, we're at System Mastery there and everywhere. Yep, find us anywhere you want. We're always System Mastery. So that should be just about enough. I think we're just about done here. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you real soon with more content, and you all have a good week. 